the Australian Signals Directorate used to be called the Defence Signals Directorate, DSD, and um, it is the key component of Australia's Five Eyes partnership and collaboration. So it's been um, going for quite a long time. It was under the radar screen for a long time uh, and uh, you know, some 50-odd years um, wasn't formally recognised. Um, and is now um, one of the agencies that are part of Australia's intelligence community. And it is responsible for foreign intelligence collection, signals intelligence, um, you know, the, the communications that are sucked up via the satellites and the uh, internet cables um, of foreign sources. So not within Australia. So it's kind of unusual for it to be um, directed towards Australian citizens or internally to Australia. And uh, that was why there was such a, a raised eyebrows about a proposal that it would have anything to do with domestic um, operations. Now Dutton has argued the ASD's new domestic powers would be restricted to protecting critical infrastructure, the electricity grid, the electronic banking system and so on, and that it could also be used to shut down online child sex abuse networks. On the face of it, that seems reasonable. Why then should we be concerned about the expansion of the ASD's powers uh, within the domestic sphere? Except for the fact that for all of those um, activities, we have other agencies that are very well funded and quite capable of dealing with those things. So um, it would be a duplication and an expansion and a mission creep of that agency to also have um, responsibility for those for those functions. A lot of these um, changes that we're seeing discussed at the moment come from the independent intelligence review uh, that was conducted by a couple of former senior bureaucrats. And, you know, when you ask a couple of bureaucrats to comment on the bureaucracy, usually they have ideas about expanding the bureaucracy. And this time they did. So the review done by Michael Lestrange and Stephen Merchant um, came down last year and it was from that that we've got this new Home Affairs Department and quite a lot of other changes. Um, so in the um, kind of when the dust is kicked up in those kinds of restructurings, um, lots of moot points get raised and um, proposals that probably shouldn't see the light of day do get leaked out. And so I think it's interesting to notice that at first, when there was expansion of ASD's um, functions first raised, there was great denials that, no, 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 we don't want them to be spying on Australians. And then this one has slipped in again to show that actually there are ongoing discussions about the role and the scope and the use of the enormous resources that ASD has um, and, and, and applying them to other functions. But I would say we already have um, policing, national security, intelligence functions that actually do cover those areas quite well indeed. Another area of concern is Dutton's proposal for a nationally coordinated multi-agency real-time accessible facial recognition database. This is a database that would contain passport photos, driver's licence photos and so on, those images would be integrated with CCTV footage from throughout the country potentially. There's a genuine sci-fi 1984 feel to this. So what are your concerns about this proposed facial recognition system? Well, the, um, it needs a serious, serious rethink. Um, the, the proposed new powers to have this enormous database of 
all of our photos from our passports and our licenses um, that are easily um, searchable, a huge dragnet database, um, including children, um, is, you know, startlingly vast. And we haven't actually had a serious debate about the potential misuses and the security problems and the vulnerabilities arising from creating enormous centralised repositories like this. But there's also ways in which private companies, local councils, transport authorities are able to access this um, this uh, personal information of Australians. Uh, and these proposed laws are, are currently before the parliament, but in actual fact, the capability, as it's known, has already begun. And there is an um, increased collaboration and enhancement of the capacity for you know, interstate and interagencies to access you know, these kinds of, um, this, this kind of database. And I think that it actually really is a threat uh, to you know, our, our democratic rights to engage and gather um, peacefully when our faces are sucked up into this database, when we attend uh, demonstrations or even just public spaces. Um, there's also the problems with um, facial recognition that we've seen in other parts of the world with mistaken identities. Um, the one council in London uh, noted that there was 98% uh, wrongly identifying people for, for um, an experiment that they did. So we have to tread very carefully with this technology and its problems, but also the implications of sewing up and creating one huge, enormous database like this um, that could be very, very vulnerable to, to hacking. I wanted to raise the question of all of these developments happening without significant public attention and certainly without any visible social protests. That strikes me as odd given we live in an era of omnipresent surveillance where privacy is largely a thing of the past, particularly online. It seems to me people are aware the state and indeed corporations like Facebook are surveilling them all the time uh, at one level or another. Yet there is no discernible social fight back against these surveillance systems, these systems of control. How do you account for that? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, I would say that um, while uh, modest and modestly funded, um, there are efforts that are pushing back. There are organisations like the Human Rights Law Centre that have got a democracies program that are really trying to mobilise people to care about this. The Digital um, Rights Watch, another organisation, is, is stepping up its activities there are there is resistance and resistance is, is is not futile but rather fertile. It's privacy is not a thing of the past, and these are things that we can actually recoup and and regain. For example, look at what Europe's doing with this GDPR, with this you know new um, regime whereby the European Union has said actually the privacy of European citizens matters, and they need to have autonomy and ownership over their data, and no, you can't you know troll them forever and and um, and follow them forever. And so there has been huge huge changes in terms of the guarding of privacy and. The expectation that, of course, corporations are not allowed to track you forever. So there is the possibility for reform and change. There is some resistance. There is also, I think, one way of accounting, Alex, for the, the disparity in the danger and the response is this. This is what's coming out of my research. The Five Eyes have been, the Five Eyes being the Australia, US, Canada, Australia, uh, US and UK alliance of the English-speaking nations have been 
have been surveilling since 1947. So mass surveillance that Snowden raised eyebrows about it and enlightened us about it has been ongoing for decades. Our awareness of mass surveillance is infantile by comparison. So these bozos in the five eyes have been going for 70 years. The internet's been going for 25. Social media is a teenager, and sure it shows. And our ability to cope with mass surveillance is infantile. It comes from 2013, it's five years old. So we're athletically bouncing um, around acceptance and resistance and sometimes in the same sentence saying, writing it off and saying surveillance doesn't matter and, and, and also then expressing upset and feeling creeped out by it. So I think that also accounts for some of the delayed kind of response in kind of grappling with the implications, understanding the technical components of it and then organising resistance. The response to Cambridge Analytica, um, while not surprising to many of us, has actually surprised a lot of people. And people are getting very upset about the power of Facebook um, and are getting off it, which I think is fantastic. Everyone should get off Facebook. So I think that there are um, different ways in which people are resisting and that there is definitely resistance, although I agree it's not as loud as I'd like it to be and it's not as loud as it should be um, in you know, response to the dangers that are posed, but it is commencing. Your answer is definitely a healthy corrective to my demoralisation. As you say, there are some people resisting mass surveillance, and indeed that's the topic of your PhD thesis. Tell us briefly about the Peace Pilgrims, who are a wonderful example of, of resistance to surveillance. They were taken to court for protesting at the Pine Gap facility outside Alice Springs. Tell us a little bit about that. Look, I'm writing a chapter about it right now, so I'm, I'm, it's going to be difficult for me to do so briefly. But yes, the, um, the Pine Gap Peace Pilgrims who um, penetrated the base with prayer uh, in September 2016 um, you know, held two uh, jury trials in Alice Springs, a very difficult place to get a fair trial uh, and a, a balanced jury um, because so many people know and, and have worked with or work at the bases. So um, many, many people were turned away from the jury because they had an association with Pine Gap. Finally, the jury, juries were appointed and found the pilgrims guilty, but then they were actually not given the um, sentences that the government was after. The government wanted years in jail for these people for, with rattles, musical instruments and flowers, praying at Pine Gap for peace. So um, the, the judge instead gave them quite minor fines and told them to, off, to, to go off. This was highly unusual. I fully expected them to go down for years, precisely because the government had changed legislation so that judges couldn't find these people not guilty. So they were, found, they were found guilty, but fined very minimally. And I think that um, th this small action trickled right up to the top and as was evidenced by um, documents tabled in the court, actually triggered conversations between the United States and Australia. So um, symbolic, powerful, um, courageous protest by citizens can actually have a ripple effect. However, in my um, analysis of, of social movements and uh, their ability to, to, to cause reform within the deep state, I've, I've said that, no, in fact, it's surveillance interruptus that these kinds of actions um, cause. And that's actually useful. It's cause for, for, um, for rethinking and, and understanding and flashlights of, of, of realisations of what surveillance actually does and is and how connected to war it is. 
However, it doesn't actually stop the system and it doesn't reform it. But it's um, nevertheless an extremely powerful way for citizens to say in a democracy, not in my name. And in this case, the peace pilgrims focus very much on the fact that three drone strikes a day are coordinated through Pine Gap. And so blood is very much on our hands as Australian citizens because of this base on Australian soil that the Australian government claims to have full knowledge and concurrence of everything that goes on there, therefore is complicit in the war crimes in the extrajudicial assassination program that takes place from Pine Gap. And this point was very clear. What was fascinating at the, at the, the court case was how these humble, unrepresented Christians conducted a really very powerful court case and how it affected the jury. At one point, they were allowed to play an 11-minute um, radio interview with Malcolm Fraser, who in his pompous tones was saying exactly what these protesters were saying, and I could see the jury's faces very much moved by that. But these questions are not unpatriotic um, to ask. They're actually quite uh, um, proud of our nation to ask why... Are we allowing these kinds of crimes to occur on our soil? And that it's the right of, and it's actually the duty and responsibility of citizens to ask these kinds of questions from your lowly Christian demonstrator right up to former prime ministers. Pity that current prime ministers don't have the courage to ask these kinds of questions, but it's only the pension-inspired politics that actually has been um, asked, but still they are asked. So the question was asked, the people um, were... Um, given small fines, and Pine Gap's power continues to only grow. So this is the conundrum. We have to keep on protesting before we can get more than surveillance interrupters.